This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras, Indians Edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinstein recently caught up with Indians general manager Mike Chernoff to discuss Mark Shapiro's impact on his career, how growing up around the world of sports radio influenced him, and why the Indians won't suffer from a World Series hangover. Here's Mark. Mike, you played baseball at Princeton, but you you said you knew early on that college baseball was going to be pretty much where you maxed out. Uh, When did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career on this side of the baseball? I definitely knew I was going to max out uh, at the college level. Thought maybe it would have been in high school and fortunately got a chance to play at Princeton. Um, I don't think I realized that a career in baseball was possible until about junior year. Uh, my dad had been in sports and sports radio. And we'll so get I, into that. And so I had seen, uh, I had some access to sort of the behind the scenes of sports, but I didn't really recognize the front office component of a major league team until I did an internship with the Mets between junior and senior years. It was in the marketing department, but I got to do some work for Jim Duquette in baseball ops, and that was the moment where I realized I didn't just like playing the game, I liked working in the game too. After the Mets, you interned with the Indians, I believe, was right after you graduated college? Yeah, right after graduation. Did you get a sense with the Indians that that was a team that you were going to hopefully catch on with full-time? I had a hope that that would be the case for sure. I had applied to a few teams. I I don't think I realized just how competitive it is to get into a front office. I kind of lucked out um, right after college, got the opportunity with the Indians, and immediately realized how special of a place it is. Um, Mark Shapiro and ownership and Chris had built this incredible culture here. And so as soon as you get into that and you get, even as an intern, had just opportunities sort of thrown at me, um, I realized just sort of how much work I had to do to, to be in a place where I could contribute, but also how special it was to be here. I think you're the 22nd GM I've spoken to so far this spring, and I feel like I've asked this question to probably 18 or 19 of them. What did you learn most on the March Pyro? The thing I learned most is how important the people are. So, you know, I came, I started in 2003. Moneyball had just been written I had an economics and math background, playing background too, but I was bringing a lot of the sort of sabermetric revolution as it was happening, bringing a lot of those tools to the table and trying to integrate it into what we were doing. I think the most important thing that I learned from Mark was whatever it is that you're focused on, whether it's the heavy scouting side, the analytics side, whatever it is, the people always come first. And the way that you build a culture, the way that you lead people, support people, um, and ultimately treat people, that's what's going to lead to your success. It's not about any one of those tools. So Mark did an exceptional job in building that culture here, um, and I feel like that is the legacy that we try to leave or we've tried to keep in place since he left. So many people in decision-making roles around this game worked 
for Mark in Cleveland. Yeah. You worked with a lot of those people. Does that make it easier for you to deal with other clubs when you have those pre-existing relationships with other executives? No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun to pick up the phone and call another team because uh, often there's somebody who I've worked with at that team. I think it it can, from the outside, maybe look like it would be harder if you know each other so well, but it, it, we don't negotiating isn't adversarial. When we negotiate for trades or contracts or anything like that, um, the better relationship you have with the person on the other side of the table, the easier it is to figure out where you might have crossover. So the deal ended up not working out in the end, but doing like the deal for Lucroy at the deadline, working with David Stearns, it was an easy conversation to figure out how can we overlap on interest because he and I are so close. Right. For a city that hadn't won in a long time, Cavaliers won the NBA title last year. You guys get to the World Series. How have you seen the sports scene in Cleveland change over the past 12, 18 months? It was incredible to be a part of that. Um, when the Cavs won, we all, like all our baseball ops guys, Tito was up there in uniform. We're on, in our upper deck because it went right around our stadium, um, which was a pretty funny scene, watching Tito in uniform, <laughs> watching the parade. But we watched the parade, and there were there were over a million people watching it. And it was hard not to um, just feel this tremendous pride in Cleveland. Cleveland's been through a lot as a city in the 50, 14 years that I've been here. Um, I've seen the economic hardship and seen what the city's gone through. Love the city, but, and you feel that, you know, people have a loyalty to it. But I don't know that that pride has been there since I started in 03. I think that really came out when the Cavs won. And it felt like that momentum just continued to pick up throughout our postseason run. So we had, when we were in Chicago, one of the coolest things I saw was when, when we played on the road in Chicago, 20,000 people were in the plaza outside of our stadium watching our game. To me, that was the city really embracing the team and building on, them, on that momentum. You turned down a chance to interview for the Padres GM job in 2014. Is that a difficult decision, given that there's only 30 of these jobs out there? Uh, any of the jobs that I have over time, um, external jobs where people have come to me, it's, it's been an easy decision, actually. Um, and that's just because of the people that I work with here and the culture that we have. So even as an intern, I lucked out and reported directly to Chris Antonetti, who was the assistant GM at the time. Um, so he and I have worked really closely for 14 years. It's been, he's like a big brother to me. Um, and I've never, I've always wanted to be here. This, I don't, you know, title and responsibility and whatever. I felt like I've always been promoted ahead of where I, you know, felt like I was ready for. Right. So when you get opportunities like that and you work with the people that we have in the building here, there's no reason to ever want to leave. You're the GM. Chris is the president of baseball operations. It seems like more teams are moving towards those types of structures where there's multi multiple executives in the decision-making roles. Rays, the Cubs, Dodgers, Twins all come to mind. Why do you think this shift is taking place? There's a lot to handle in a baseball operations infrastructure. And then it's grown a lot. I mean, even in just the 14 years that I've been in the game, the amount of staff, the amount of information we get, um, the amount of things that we're dealing with have grown tremendously. So I think a lot of it is really just handling the management of, you've got the major league roster, that's the, the external facing part. That alone is a full-time job. And then on top of that, player development system, scouting system, um, 
all of the front office and analytics staff that we have, it's it's hard to handle all that as one person. So whether a team does it as a GM and assistant GM or a president and a GM, it, it takes more than one person to to be able to focus on all those things throughout the year. As you mentioned, your father, Mark, worked in sports radio. I interned for him, incidentally. Uh, he's run WFAN for about 25 years. Growing up around that sports radio culture, do you find yourself listening to it now? Um, now that I'm an executive, I don't listen to it. And I know I know well enough not to listen to it. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. I think the, the, the thing that I learned that has really helped me is that the fans that call in whether positive or negative, are the most passionate fans, right? So even when they are just killing our team, it's because they care so much. And so I think having seen that firsthand at WFAN, it was a lot easier when, look, we've we've been through some tough times with the Indians in my time here. You realize that the fans that are getting all over you are not the enemy. They're actually the people who care most about the team and the ones that you feel most responsible towards. So it's helpful to view it through that lens because it can, it can sometimes feel like you're being attacked when you hear some of those comments. So, you know, you try, to, you try not to have the emotional roller coaster and the ups and downs that fans, of course, have and should have. Um, but also you try to view it through the light of these are the most passionate people and they only say it because they care so much. I guess it's different than Twitter. Anybody can go on Twitter and takes five seconds to send out a tweet. If you're willing to wait on hold for 45 minutes, talk to Mike Francesa, that's yeah, saying something, that's right? right? That's exactly right, yeah. How does Cleveland Sports Radio compare to WFAN? Well, it's interesting. So Cleveland Sports Radio, there was a, um, a station that my dad uh, sort of helped out with that got to get it off the ground in the time that I've been with the Indians. So it's fun. He got to come and visit a lot. Um, and it's a lot. It's, it's very similar. I mean, it's, it's a passionate fan base. There's a lot of talk about the Browns. Obviously, a very um, football-oriented city, um, but it's you know it, it's it's fun to now have a full-time sports station in Cleveland and to be able to flip on the dial and listen to sports talk. Did your dad's job give you a better understanding of how to deal with the media once that became part of your job? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I be, when you get to know radio personalities or media members as people as opposed to somebody just sort of asking you tough questions, I think you gain an appreciation for why they're asking you tough questions and what your responsibility as a spokesperson for the team is. So some of that was through watching, you know, what other, or listening to my dad's station and hearing other executives go on. Some of it has just been here watching Tito, who's exceptional at that and understands that, look, you as reporters have a job to do and it's our job to help inform you and the fan base why we're making decisions. Nobody's coming after us or anything like that. So I think you, it just allows you to view things through a little bit of a different lens and not feel sort of the attack mode that some people maybe can feel from, from media. You use the words collaborative, collaborative culture mm-hmm. to describe the Indians organization. Where does that show up the most? Um, I can give you one great example. So as we prepared for the postseason, as we prepared for the World Series last year against the Cubs, we had... The, um, our advanced scouts came in, the guys who had been sitting on the Cubs came in to talk with our Major League staff. So all of our Major League coaches in a room, our advanced scouts were going to come in and meet with them. Tito himself asked for the front office to come in there, asked for our analytics staff to come in there, 
asked for um, the other advanced scouts who had been watching the Dodgers play to come in, in case they had any perspective, because they had been at those games also, and right. asked for our intern who helps to print out the reports and who's just been doing that all year to come in. As we go through the our, what our game plan is going to be, Tito, every step of the way, asked, does anyone have anything to add? Legitimately hoping for, I mean, our intern made comments in that meeting. So that's that's one small example of what a collaborative culture is to us. It's anybody who has a good idea, we want to listen to it. Anyone who has any idea, we want to listen to it and see if it's a good idea. Right. Because sometimes it, it's that intern who's been grinding away all year who sees something small that maybe can help us. And that person can get shut out in a lot of cultures. For us, I think we realize that there's huge value in bringing people together and recognizing that the collective mind is better than the individual mind. If we can put a lot of good people in one room together with a diverse range of um, perspectives, we can end up in a better spot than just having one person try to figure it out. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinstein. Every team in baseball has an analytics department at this point. I believe at one point you were the analytics department yes, for the Indians. Yes, that's a scary thought for the Indians. <laughs> uh, do you think teams are now looking, now that that's league-wide, do you think teams are now looking for the next big thing, the next wave to try to give them a competitive advantage over everybody else? I wouldn't say now. We have always been. I mean, that the analytics movement got written about, so it got exposed that that's what we were on. It is a constant battle to be thinking about what's the next thing where do we go and you don't want to be shifting philosophy it's how do we add this how do we add this component to the core of who we are so you know we have a culture and we have um, departments and we have groups of people that come together to figure out problems for us how do we add the next thing to look at in a little bit of a different way or have a new tool to look at something or take in a new perspective so it's always been that I think the analytics movement just got written about a lot the analytics movement has also now made its way to the fans more than ever before. That's right. How do you think StatCast has changed the way fans look at the game? StatCast is incredible in a lot of ways. So baseball was is way ahead of a lot of other sports and has been for 100 years because of the stats that we've kept track of. So it's not like statistical analysis is a new thing in baseball. There have been stats and records for a long time, and I can almost guarantee you that a scout walking into a ballpark 50 years ago probably picked up the stat sheet to help inform him of decisions, or a GM or whatever is going to look at that, or the manager of the team. As over the past 15 or 20 years, the amount of data and the granularity of that data has grown exponentially, and that allows you to look at things in slightly different ways. So the big one that's in the public... Um, sphere right now is defense. We now have you couldn't you didn't have tools to measure defense. Right. People could see that putouts and assists and errors didn't measure everything they were supposed to measure. So, kind of stop looking at it. Right. We now have exactly where a ball was hit, and you know some of the other measurements of maybe where a guy was positioned. When you have those that kind of information and that granularity of data, you can make better estimates as to how good is a player's defense. With Statcast. 
now you're not just charting where the ball goes, you're actually measuring how fast a player runs or how quickly a player accelerates or a guy's bat speed or launch angle. So you're basically just adding additional tools to the statistical analysis that we do and you're able to quantify things that in the past you couldn't quantify. A lot of, at least my job, is how much should we pay for a guy, right? That's the, in, in, in the end, that's what a general manager is supposed to do. In order to figure that out, especially when millions of dollars are riding on decisions, you have to be able to quantify what a guy has done in the past and then try to predict what you think he'll do in the future. The better you get, the more precise you get at quantifying what a guy has done, the more able you are to predict the future. So in a lot of ways, StatCast just adds another component of you can you can now quantify a whole lot more about a player's game. The Indians got to the World Series last year without Michael Brantley, Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco. Did you ever wonder how things might have been different if you had any or all of those guys? Um, I mean, I know you got to game seven without them. So Yeah, and I actually, so I've thought a lot about that just because there's a lot of time in the offseason to reflect on what happened. I think our team thrived because of the adversity we faced. So we saw the there was a culture of whatever happens to us, we're going to find a way to get over it. We're going to overcome the adversity. And it's easy to say, oh, if you just plug in you know, a Brantley's offensive numbers, we would have been a better team. Or, oh, if we just had Salazar and Carrasco in the rotation, we would have won the World Series. That may be true, but I also think our guys viewed those setbacks as opportunities. So Josh Tomlin stepped up his game because he knew that he had a spot that he had to fill. And and when you have this sort of team identity where all anyone cares about is winning that night's game, guys do things beyond what their ability may otherwise let them do. So I, I don't know that it would have been any different. I mean, it's, you know, I hope they all stay healthy this year, and I hope the team comes together in the same right. way and can overcome the new adversity we're going to face. But at the same time, I think what we achieved was really about getting past some of the challenges we faced throughout the year. How crucial is Brantley's return this season, and does it almost feel like you've added a free agent in the aspect that he essentially missed all of last year? It does. It feels exactly like that. You know, you, you almost forget um, – there's a lot of spotlight on the Encarnacion signing and what his offense would do for our lineup. And you sort of, you're planning out the lineup thinking about, oh, take last year's team and plug in Encarnacion where we would have lost Napoli from. Yeah, well, on top of that, add in Brantley too. That's pretty right. good. So um, the, the best part about it is just how hard Michael has worked. He's put in an unbelievable amount of time to get himself strong and get himself in a place where he can contribute. It was hard watching him through the postseason last year, trying to find ways to help the team in the advance report or something like that and be there for his teammates but not be able to play. So I think we're all looking forward to having him back in the lineup this year. Francisco Lindor is part of this new wave of young shortstops in the game. Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Xander Bogarts, Manny Machado. Is this the best crop of shortstops, do you think, that the game has seen since Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, and Omar Garcia Parra first hit the league? So when I was like, six years old I had a poster in my room I was a shortstop myself yeah. not nearly as good as any of these guys but I had a poster of Jeter it was like Jeter Nomar Ray Ordonez yep. um, Alex Gonzalez it was that group of guys and they, you yeah, know, the Sports Illustrated cover Remember yes that, that must have been one of, that, might have, that that's right, been it that's right so I had that poster in my room and I was always trying to like mimic these guys and looked up to Omar Vizquel he was such a good fielder um 
in a lot of ways, it's probably very similar now with this young group of guys that has just tremendous potential and maybe reshapes the way the game is played in some ways. There's been a big focus on quantifying defense. Well, watching these guys is pretty fun too. So I think we're seeing as the game shifts more towards that dynamic type of player with just incredible defense, those that group of guys really um, sets the bar. You mentioned Encarnacion signed the biggest free agent deal in Indians history this winter. What made him such a good fit for your team? We had a big hole at first base, losing Napoli, both in the clubhouse and on the field. Edwin um, provides us with, it's a different type of presence than Napoli. Napoli was such kind of a loud, you know, go out and pull guys out there type of guy. But Edwin's got a great leadership presence um, and obviously an incredible bat to add to the lineup. So I think we don't often play in that range of the free agent market. This was an opportunity where ownership made the decision to invest in the team and take the leap of faith. They felt like it was the right time to do that. And so I think this we are adding a player that in a lot of ways complements our lineup tremendously, adds a huge amount of depth to us, and hopefully allows us to sustain the top level. I think we were in the top five in offense last year. Hopefully allows us to sustain that going forward. Andrew Miller pretty clearly was a big trade deadline acquisition for you last summer. Played a huge role in your postseason run. How excited are you to see him in an Indians uniform for an entire season? Yeah, you. I mean, we we gave up a ton to get him, and you work so hard at the deadline thinking about that season. How do we help the team that season? A big part of why we gave up so much was because of the multiple years of control. But sort of the mental accounting for it, you get through the postseason, you're like, man, Andrew was great for us. What a huge help. To now look up and know that we have him again is a huge benefit. I think it will allow Tito with a lot of flexibility in how he manages a game. We obviously can't use the bullpen the same way that Tito used it for the season. Those guys would each pitch 200 innings if we did it like that. But to be able to have a dominant pitcher in the back end, a dominant lefty in the back end, to combine with guys like Cody Allen and Brian Shaw and Dan Otero and now Boone Logan, who we added, hopefully it gives Tito the flexibility to match up when he needs to, to get more than an inning when he needs to, and to be able to do it night after night. So much was made of the way Tito used the bullpen last October, and obviously the off days make that possible. Um, how important is that? When you look at the way, even the way Tito used Miller in the regular season, though, I remember somebody joked during World Series Media Day, Miller's first game, I guess he came in the fifth inning. Yep, that's right. And, and somebody said, we gave up all those guys for a fifth inning guy, you know, and, <laughs> and not realizing sort of how Tito was going to use him. How important is it for a guy like Miller, though, who's arguably been the best reliever in the game for the last couple of years, to buy into that kind of plan? Yeah, tremendous. I mean, when we acquired, first of all, when we were rumored to be acquiring him, Cody Allen stepped up and said, I'll pitch wherever. So he's, he, Cody is, has the same team first mentality. And then Andrew comes in and says, put me in whenever you think it's the, whenever you think you need me. And when, when guys can separate their ego or, you know, their individual interests and think about how do I help the team win, that's when things come together for a team. So Tito has helped to create that here, but Andrew, the minute he got here, stepped right in and just took it up a notch. And I think it's hard for anybody else on the team to ever have an individual interest when you have a guy of Andrew's stature saying, I will do anything for this team, whether it's a fifth inning or ninth inning. I mean, you've heard closers say, I can only pitch the ninth. I mean, one of the reasons that the Yankees last year at the beginning of the year made Chapman the closer 
over Miller, who had been reliever of the year before that, was because Chapman was most comfortable pitching in the ninth. Is it a is it a mental thing? Is it you know with a guy like Miller, is it just a a mental toughness thing for him to say it doesn't matter? I, I'm sure that it is. I mean, it's it's not easy to have some uncertainty about when you're going to come in the game, and Andrew's about as tough mentally as they come, so he's able to do it physically because of that. At the same time, I think, I mean, look, there's a there is a um, clearly, at least from external fans and media and whatever, there is a uh, this ninth inning sort of stature of being a closer that is that guys gravitate towards. When you look at how our season played out and how much attention was put on Andrew coming in anywhere in the game, he actually probably stepped up above the level of a closer in a lot right. of people's eyes because he was willing to do it. So again, it's just a good example of if you actually have that team first mentality, then it doesn't matter what inning you're coming in, you're going to get the same recognition whether it's the ninth inning or coming in earlier. You're the rare team that uses DH as its leadoff hitter. Right. Why is Carlos Santana the right guy for the top of the lineup? A great on-base percentage, incredible patience at the plate. I mean, this is a guy who, despite the power he has, walks as much as he strikes out. Um, so it's it's a bit unconventional because he does have power and he can drive in runs, but our lineup is so deep that it allows for Tito to put him in that spot where he's comfortable and where Tito feels great about him getting on base. Do you think the days of having to have a speedster at the top of your lineup are passing us by? It depends on the team, and I think there are days where we'll have a speedster at the top of the lineup too. I think what we recognize is that especially when you've got a group of guys that hopefully can drive in runs in the two, three, four spots, you want a guy who's going to get on base in front of them. And so whether it's a speedster or a power guy or whatever it is, um, you know, Tito has used that spot exceptionally well to, uh, to produce runs for the team. Do you have any concern about last year's workload impacting Corey Kluber this season? Corey is, I've, I've never seen a player as dedicated as he is to his conditioning throughout the season and in the offseason. So, no, I don't. I mean, I think it's easy to say that and to just look at the innings that were built up, but this guy takes tremendous care of his body. If there's anybody who can get through that without a hiccup, it's him. In fact, he's, and he's looked stronger than ever coming into camp here. People talk about the World Series hangover all the time, not only for the winners, but for the losers as well. Do you have any concern about that at all? No. I, I will say this. At the beginning of the offseason, I think we were all a little bit concerned about that. You know, you're dead tired after the postseason run, and you get that deep, and then immediately you're going into free agency, and you can feel it as you check in with players over the offseason. The pain didn't go away right away. I think what we saw as we got to January, and especially as we got into camp here, guys weren't talking about 2016. There was this focus on um, how do we do the little things in spring training to put ourselves in a spot to get back to Game 7 of the World Series. And asking Tito, I mean, in our individual player meetings, guys were asking Tito, hey, you've been through this before. What do we need to do to shift the focus and help the young guys see that the team last year was the 2016 team, not the 20. You don't just roll over the calendar and expect to be there again. The way we did it, the way we overcame adversity, that's who we want to be. How do we carry that part into 2017 and not just get stuck on, oh, it's just going to happen because we have a lot of the same guys coming back. So I think in a lot of ways it's from day one of camp, we have seen a highly motivated group that has moved on to 2017. Last one, the American League Central has represented the league in the World Series the last three years. You guys last year, the Royals twice before that. 
How do you assess the overall state of the division? I think um, you never know what's going to happen with the teams in your division. You try to focus completely internally, especially in the offseason, on how do we put the best team out there. As you get into the season, you start focusing on opponents, where you are in the standings. I think both the Royals and Tigers in particular have a lot of really talented players, have done a lot and shown that they can be really good teams. And you've got two young teams in the Twins and the White Sox where a lot of guys are trying to prove themselves. So our division, our league is going to be really challenging. We know that. The important thing for us is stay healthy through spring training and put ourselves put ourselves in the best spot every day to hopefully get back to the postseason. If we can get there, I'm confident that this group, with their mental toughness, with what they've been through last year, can draw on those experiences to hopefully keep pushing along. Mike, I appreciate the time. Good luck this season. Absolutely, Mark. Thanks.